When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times, and Anne-Marie Batson, the journalist and broadcaster. Reputations are made and ruined in a match as big as Sunday's Champions League final. It has all the hallmarks of a classic matchup. Bayern Munich and PSG each has the capacity to hurt the other. Great players respond to just that sort of scenario, and are we about to find out how good Neymar is? He's proved in this tournament that he's not just a brand or a vanity purchase. He's been a leader, a catalyst. Has his time come, Johnny? It might have done, Mike. I mean, I think along with his time, it's Kylian Mbappe's time. And I think the two of them have become just a potent double act for, for PSG that you almost can't separate. But I know what you say. I mean, I mean, Neymar, I've seen him for Brazil. I remember being in the, the World Cup in 2014 and appreciating fully the, the burden that he carries for his country, the way that... He's the focus of everything for that enormous football mad nation and that he actually showed us this incredible sort of responsibility. And that was very different to Neymar, I think, that we've perceived in European club football. It was, you know, a a bit of a kind of adornment to to teams. I think that started to change my opinion about Neymar and think there's actually this, this kid has to take on an awful lot in his life and in his career. But at club level, he hasn't really done that until... Probably until this season. I mean, at Barcelona, he had some fabulous games, some fabulous contributions. But of course, Messi was always the figurehead of the team. And at PSG, it's it's taken, you know, this is his third season. It's taken until now, I think, for him to emerge as as that club's standard bearer, properly their standard bearer, as, as the guy that's the, the go-to player on in, in, in the biggest occasions. And, you know, I've been reading stuff about how he's changed his attitude a little bit towards his job, that, you know, instead of, sort of thinking about getting a move back to Spain, he's now more committed. He's been having barbecues at his house for the players. He's been taking more of a, a senior role in the, in, in the dressing room. Thomas Tuchel's given him more responsibility off the pitch. And maybe he's starting to replicate what he does with Brazil for his club. And, and if you look at the contributions in the games, there's been a focus on him missing chances. But if you take take those occasions out of it, he's been fabulous. I mean, his, his, his dribbling is, is sensational. The, the, he's got this, incre- this, this beautiful way of sort of stopping, pausing, moving past the player. Almost at will, he, he's been opening defences up in, in Lisbon, creating assists. Supporting his teammates, I thought it was very telling that when Juan Bernat's ball was sort of dribbling over the line, he didn't apply a touch. He didn't go for glory to get himself a goal. He looks like a proper team player. But I did mention Mbappe because I think that he is as important to PSG. And what's key is that Neymar is willing to share the stage with them. If Neymar wanted to play the big I am and, and, and try and pull rank over Mbappe, it wouldn't work so well. I'm really enjoying watching watching the two of them and watching Neymar perhaps silence a few critics in this country who perhaps haven't understood how good he is before now. Yeah, and he is good, isn't he, by any standard, Amory? You know, if you look at even the statistical side of things, he's had 59 Champions League ties and 59 goal involvements in those, 35 goals and 24 assists. I suppose what we're looking at here is the maturation of a player and as a person 
he's got to shoot really high by definition. And how close do you think he is to overhauling Messi and Ronaldo? I would say he, he's getting closer and closer. I mean, Jonathan, I've been one of those critics. I've been <laughs> one of those people who say that I, I, I look at him and I think it's his histrionics at times when he's been tackled and he falls to the ground and he rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls. <laughs> and the way that he looks at referees at times with his hands up in the end going, why me, mm. why me, when the decision doesn't go his <laughs> way. So I'm slowly turning to him a, a little bit and I think he's inching closer to, to Messi and Ronaldo, but very slowly. I think he's got a long way to go before he actually overtakes him but uh, you know honestly when the ball is at his feet it's absolute magic and I think that's what he needs to focus on his creativity is absolutely world class and I think as, as Mike as you just mentioned all the, the things that he's achieved the three league titles one league cup the French Super Cup I think winning the Champions League will alter the perceptions of him and I do think I think it was dis- despite the long drawn out process of him moving on from Barcelona. I think he was right that he did that because I think he needed to step out of the shadow of Messi and now he's starting to mm. deliver. But it is his responsibility to to justify why PSG has invested so much in him. And I and I I wouldn't like to imagine what that like is on his shoulders, but he has to justify his price tag. He has to justify why he is the player that he is. And I think he will catch up with Ronaldo and Messi, but I think he'll be a good few years yet before he actually physically overtakes them. Mm, you know, we're still on that theme, Johnny, about Messi and Ronaldo. Only only those two have more assists in the Champions League since Angel Di Maria made his debut in 07-08. Given all that, do we consistently underwrite Di Maria? We do. He's a classic case of of the right player at the wrong time, I think, in, in the Premier League. He could have had a fantastic Premier League career. But Manchester United, amid their sort of recruitment confusion, signed, you know, one of the best wingers in the world for a manager who doesn't like dribbling. You know, Van Gaal told his players not to not to try and beat a man, not 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 to do what Di Maria is good at. And you know, he, he's got so many things in his in his locker. He, he's got the skill, but he's, he's a great team player. His crossing is absolutely wonderful. I think he's a very consistent footballer. He's taken on leadership at different times. He was fabulous in 2014 for, for Real Madrid in, in Lisbon in, in the Champions League final, you know, and he's replicating it in Lisbon again. So because it wasn't a long and productive career for United, then yeah, he's, he's, he is dismissed. If he'd never played in the Premier League, then we'd all be going, oh, wow, imagine if somebody could sign him. Because he has, he's, he's kind of uh, discarded a little bit. But if this, if these, if the Champions League and, and Europa League final stages prove anything, if you look at the players involved, it's that not succeeding in the Premier League immediately doesn't mean you're not a good player. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's about, you can make a, a pre, an ex-Premier League 11 out of the, the four finalists team. And, and, Di Maria, is, is, he was one of the first big players to go of the current team in that Paris project. So he deserves the adulation for being there, sticking with it and helping build it. Mm. You know, I think it's pretty obvious, Amory, that if if Bayern allow Mbappe, Neymar and Di Maria to have space behind, as they have done in previous matches, they'll be punished. You know, looking at the impact of Hansi Flick, you'd think he'd change that strategy. Can we look at some of the matchups in the final, and, and specifically Di Maria, who's likely to come up against Alfonso Davis? Now, this is a broader storyline, isn't it? Backstory, anyway. You know, you've got someone here who was born in a refugee camp in Ghana, moved to Canada at the age of five. You know, his parents have fled Liberia due to the uh, civil war. You've got someone here, a young player who sees the stage. His significance is sort of multifaceted, isn't it? It is very much so. I was obviously watching the game and keeping an eye on Twitter when the game was played, when Alfonso was on the pitch. And uh, one of my Canadian friends, she was absolutely delighted watching him play. She was so happy. She said, he, and I said to her, is he really loved over in Canada? And she said, yeah, absolutely. We love him over here. Do you know what I found really interesting about Alfonso is his footwork. So, um, you know, Mike, you know, I love my tennis. I'm a big tennis fan mm. and I'm always watching the players' feet with their footwork. He would make a fantastic tennis player because the way that he can get people to wrong foot themselves when he has the ball, the way that he twists and he turns and he can see that space and, and go behind the player, I think he's going to cause 
a lot of problems, I think, in the final and they're going to have to watch him really, really closely. But what an exciting talent and what a way to announce yourself on the world stage too. Yeah, certainly. You know, and, you know, if you're PSG, you will be you will be planning for him. What I what struck me actually watching some of the different camera angles in in that game against Barcelona was the balance and the dexterity and the athleticism was just fantastic, wasn't it, Johnny? Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, he's he's just an incredible mix of of, of different attributes. The footwork Amory's talking about it, it, it's the speed that he can do things at as well. Is, is unbelievable. There's a fabulous recovery tackle in last night's game against Leon, where it, it was almost like he gave the, the 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 player two yards in order to just show that he could he could make up and, and recover. And of course, he, he came through as a winger. He was developed as a winger, and in that sort of classic way that the Dutch used to do, when they they would develop you know fullbacks by making the wingers first and and, and then putting them at fullback. He's able to take high-level attacking skills, marry it with a bit of physicality and defensive um, learning, and and just become that all-round, that all-round modern fullback, that all-round package. It had, you know, you mentioned skill. It's been a triumph for skill. I think the last week, I think that we've seen high-level technical games in both competitions, and we've seen technical goals. We've seen skillful football, attacking football. Maybe it's something to do with the format. Maybe it's something to do with um, the, the lack of crowds. I've heard coaches say that that actually discourages heavy tackling a little bit. Players, you know, the blood's not up quite so much, but it does feel like skill has flourished. You know, even Leon last night in defeat against Bayern Munich were some fantastic moments and, and some great individual play, great play on the break. I've, I've loved this final stage of, <clears throat> of both competitions, but particularly the Champions League. Yeah, it's it's been interesting, especially the semi-finals. You know, if you look at that Leipzig defeat in the first semi, that almost highlighted the limitations of youth, didn't it, Anne-Marie? I think it did. I think it did. And I think it showed how much Timo Werner was missed from that particular game. And obviously we all know the reasons why he wasn't playing. And I think it, it it's going to be a real challenge for the German stars to hold on to the rest of their stars as, as a team. They're going to need somebody of Timo Werner's calibre to carry them forward with the Champions League. As we've seen, if, if you don't take your opportunities at this level of the competition, you get punished. And we've seen that. I mean, I've really enjoyed this format and I wish, I wish it could stay because I've loved the, I think it's built that intensity up. It's made it feel more competitive. And I'll be Leipzig, and I know some German fans are not the biggest lovers of RB Leipzig, the way that they've they've come about, but you have to give them credit for the way they've developed over the last, what, is it nine, 10, 11 years since yeah. they were, they started and, and Hansi Flick has been a massive part of that. That defeat, I'm sure two years ago to, to Liverpool, I think it was a 3-1 loss at the Champions League, stung them quite hard and, and they've come back and, and they've prevailed. So they, they've got a little bit of a job on their hands. They need to continue developing the young talent, but they need a talisman as well. Yeah, what about, you know, if, if there's one job I wouldn't fancy, Johnny, on Sunday, it's the one probably going to be given to Presnel Kimpembe. You know, he could well get beasted by Robert Lewandowski, couldn't he? Well, I mean, in the air, anybody could. I mean, gosh, the header he scored against Leon last night was just, just mar- you know, any, anyone who loves that kind of old-fashioned aerial prowess, it was, it was, it was just a, a yeah. Sort of, you can see the neck, neck muscles tense up, couldn't you? It was just a bosh. Oh yeah, the hang time and yeah, the, the the power of him. He's he's a complete player, Lewandowski. Now you know he, he's such a team man. There was a point in in the second half against Leon. He hadn't scored his goal, but he he was working so hard for the team. There was a point he sort of went deep into into midfield just to kind of win a a, a sort of nondescript sort of 50-50 ball, really, and, and, and lay it off to someone. And at that moment, I, I I sort of thought to myself, my goodness, you know, look at this guy. He scored 53 goals. And it's not like he's not doing a Ronaldo. He's not hanging He's not hanging up there in the in the box waiting for his, his tap-in to get his, his next name on the, on the team sheet, his next, his next goal, sorry. He's working so hard, and he's got that aerial prowess. He, he, he's got all the cleverness and guile that comes with the experience of, of all his years and, and at the top level. He's fabulously skillful. I've met, I've met Lewandowski, and one, one thing you don't realise until you sort of see him in the flesh is just what an incredible specimen he is as well. You know, he looks kind of quite thin, but he's absolutely ripped. And I think any defender would find it very hard to, to get round him, to get to the ball, to beat him in the air. 
but he's got the brain power to match. And he's a good, he's just a guy at the top of his craft that we're watching at the moment. Fifty well, fifty five goals, I think it is now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose with your Arsenal hat on, I, I better ask you about Serge Gnabry, Amory. It was quite funny last night watching him score twice and, you know, Tony Pulis had his yet another 15 seconds of fame about not playing him for West Brom. But let's not forget, Arsenal sold him for five million to Werder Bremen. I remember watching him. I was researching a a book on, on, on scouts and I saw him play for the Arsenal under-23s on a desperately bad night on a put-in of a pitch, it was the the sloping pitch at the old Barnet ground. But this this lad absolutely was a million miles above anything else. I was really surprised Arsenal got rid of him, and you know I'm not. I hope being you know wise after the event. What do you make of him? Is he one of these players, Amory, who basically needs time to almost grow into himself? Uh, I'd like to think that there's been a an expression of regret about Serge Gnabry uh, leaving Arsenal. I, and, you know, hindsight is a beautiful thing, of course. You can always go back and say, look, well, the reasons why we sold him is because of X, Y and Z. And now look at him. He's he's flourished so much and he's been integral and played a massive part in the team in progressing into the Champions League. I wonder if this is down to coaching. I wonder if this is down to somebody saw something in him when he went over to Germany and did, and thought this is the way that you should be playing and have made it work for the team and for himself as well because his confidence is just is just outstanding. He's not he's absolutely fearless and there's no he's ruthless, he's clinically, you know, he's clinical finish. I do wonder if that's just come down to the way that he's been coached and that as he's got older he's recognized what his strengths are and maybe his weaknesses as well and and worked on those things to be, become the player that he is now and it and it didn't work out at Arsenal and it didn't work out with Tony Pulis and I know that Pulis is getting a lot of stick this morning because of that but also I think Arsenal maybe should also not play a part in that, but also take that on board as well, that maybe it was just the way that the team was set up, didn't suit his strength, didn't suit his style, and now he's found somewhere where he's been able to flourish, which is the most important thing as a player, isn't it? That you want to be able to show that you can play football in your way, your style, contribute to the game, and he has certainly done that. Yeah, I think one of the great things about this final is that you can see goals in it. If you look at PSG, they're they're obviously potent. They've been averaging over three goals a game since the turn of the year. First French finalist since 2004. Johnny, can they be the first winner, French winner, since 93? They can. I think there was enough encouragement in Bayern Munich's defensive do I should I call them frailties? Yeah, I mean I suppose they are they are frail a little bit at the back to give that um, that PSG attacking retinue every encouragement. You know, Neymar, Mbappe, De Maria, and the rest can score. Probably will score against Bayern, and it will come down to whether Bayern can score enough at the other end. There seem to be signs. I felt in PSG's performance that the pressure's now off them. It was it, 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 they played with such freedom. And such happiness almost against Leipzig, and and they looked so much like themselves. They looked like the PSG that you you'd see in the first leg of a round of sixteen game, before they then choked in the second leg. If you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it was as if they just getting over that that sort of psychological hump of, of the quarterfinals was had lifted a weight off them. And in the manner they did it as well against Atalanta, might have just turned the switch on. And that PSG can can beat anybody. That PSG are everything that the club's been spending all the millions and millions of euros on and hope that they would become. Bayern are very, very good, but defensively isn't the, the best part of the game. And if if PSG can hold out, they can they can win the match. I think it's pretty even now. It's fascinating to me that PSG haven't really been playing competitive football since March because of the French league being curtailed. And that was a factor that looked like it was going to be a disadvantage to them that now looks like it might be an advantage. They look incredibly fresh as well. It's a real 50-50 call. I, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not a betting man because I'm not sure where I'd put my 20p. Yeah, because if you look at it, Amory, you know, the, the M word, momentum, Bayern have got that as well, haven't they? Is it 20, 20 games unbeaten? Uh, sorry, 29. 20 wins on the bounce. 
And is it tw- yeah, and, and, you know, there's only one draw in that sequence, isn't there, Johnny? So they've got momentum on their side. Will that be enough to carry them over the line? I think it will. I think it will. And I think it's also their ruthlessness as well. You know, they're not content getting two or three goals. They will keep going and keep going. And I think that is going to be a big concern to, to PSG. You know, we saw how Barcelona collapsed as Bayern Munich just kept steamrolling and basically crushing anybody <laughs> in their path. And it was, I, I, that's the way to describe it. And I think Johnny's right in the sense that, you know, PSG just need to be able to contain Bayern Munich, I think, and, and get their creative forwards to do to do the work. But for me, I, I will say I'm I'm thinking it's going to be a Bayern Munich win. I think if, if they don't make too many changes, keep to the game plan because it's clearly working, I think they will be the ones that will be lifting the cup on Sunday. Yeah, let's, let's switch it to the Europa League final on Friday, Seville v Inter. There's going to be a rivalry there worthy of the occasion. It's first Italian club there for 21 years. Let's look at Inter first, Johnny, and you, you mentioned it in passing earlier on. It's basically a Man United Masters team, <laughs> isn't it, when you've got um, you know Ashley <clears throat> Young and Alexis Sanchez and obviously Romelu Lukaku. Yeah, it is. And um, there's a lot of angst now, of course, among United fans when they look at Lukaku and his reliability in front of goal and and consider the chances they they missed against Sevilla and against FC Copenhagen in the two previous games. I think think it's important for those players to have succeeded in Europe because there is a sense that Serie A is is somewhere that Premier League rejects or, or, or... older players can go because it's physically less intense. Um, and that's might be that might be true, but I think it's tactically probably more sophisticated and complicated than the Premier League. So you could actually argue that that's why it suits older players. But but for that but Europe of course is the the state the kind of neutral ground and and for Lukaku in particular to to show what he's done is is fantastic for him because one thing I really admired about him and his exit from United, I think it was different to Alexis's exit, which was really, you know, almost in disgrace. Whereas, and and Youngs was as an old as an old player, but Lukaku probably could have stayed and and could have played a supporting role under Solskjaer, but wouldn't have been a main player. And I loved the fact that he was, you know, he, he's a really intelligent bloke, Lukaku, a really thoughtful guy, who who. You know, from from the age of sixteen, has really driven his own career, and was determined not to become that player. Was determined not to be anything other than a main striker at a top club, and and in a nice way, but but very decisively pushed for a move, and got it. So I'm I'm very happy for him, and he is. You know, we're talking about strikers who've learnt their craft and and a reliability. He's he's up there. You know, his his goal record's astonishing, and you know that. In the right place, he's, he's going to score enough goals. I think he just about gives into the edge in this game. Yeah, I mean, and also they've got Antonio Conte, Amory. He's won a trophy in every season that he was at Chelsea and Juventus, on course to do that at Inter. Is he worth the aggravation? Because <laughs> it does come with the territory, doesn't it? I remember those final few months at Chelsea, he just seemed to completely just lose interest in being a coach, being the manager. And, and I do I do hope that that's not the case with Inter Milan. I mean, he is somebody who can strike it lucky with that team. He's the more experienced manager out of the two. He's, he's coached teams to win trophies. He's got a fully loaded team there. The, you know, the people that he could bring off the bench, you know, Christian Eriksen could come off the bench and, and potentially win the game for them in the final. So... For me, I think he is worth the aggravation because he's somebody he delivers, he wins trophies. So for that, that you know, swallow that pill to get the the trophy that you want, and I think he is worthy of it for sure. Yeah, let's look at Seville, John, if we could. Are they winners almost by force of habit in this competition? Yeah, definitely. And I think the psychologists talk about self-efficacy, and that's a team who, in this competition, just. You know, even if it's a different generation to the previous one that's won it, the club knows that it can win it. You know, it's part of the 
the, the the sort of mindset of the of the club at the beginning of the year that Europa League's our competition. I think they plan for it. And as I say, it might be different players. I think they, they they've, the team's only got one player from the last victorious final in it, which is Benega. But um, but the club's got a belief that it can do it. And and I think it's testament to a very good director of football in Monchi, who spans the 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 different uh, generations of of winning teams. Of course, built them all because you can see that no matter who's the manager and whoever's on the pitch, there's a certain severe way of playing which I think they showed against United, defend brilliantly, break really well, work for each other, not any particular superstars, but Benega's a bit of a constant with that little dash of creativity and class. So it's a team that clearly they sign players that are going to fit into that and they, they, they get managers who are also going to play the same way. It's a very joined up club and you know they, they're not going to win the Spanish league. So they found that gap in the... In in the market, they found that thing that they can do best, which is which is the Europa League, and it's a try. It's an absolute triumph for that club of of planning. And I don't know how much money they've made from the Europa League down the years, but it must be incredible. And and fair play to fair play to Monchi. Yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned him. You know, he is absolutely the master of recruitment and development. And you know, there's a club run on. You know, brilliant business lines, but there is a there is a constant. You know, we talk about culture in football a lot, don't we? But this is manifested on the pitch. You can see it. It's an evolving team which stays the same. If you don't, if you know what I mean, it's it's, it's if you if you think, given all that, Amory, that those sort of qualities are going to be enough on a one off occasion against a pretty rigorous. Italian type of team like Inter. This is going to be a really tantalising prospect between these two teams and I'm not going to be able to call this one. I'm not even going to put 20p on it because I think it's that close. I mean, these are these are two giants of the game and I didn't realise this, but this is the first time that they are meeting in this competition. So I think, yeah, Sevilla have never lost a tie in Europe over a single leg as far as I know and Inter Milan are unbeaten in the Europa League, and I think Sevilla, the way they describe them, they are they are a juggernaut. And I agree with Jonathan. It's such a well run team. Monchi's doing a fantastic job. It's a bit of a shame it didn't work out. Potentially him coming to Arsenal, which is a slight disappointment, but that's a story for another day. Um, <laughs> so for me, you know, the five time champions, they're not afraid of the big boys. And yeah, Inter entered the competition later down. I think it was the last 32, I think they came into the competition. They are a team that like to play with width, with crosses into the box, but then Sevilla are a bit more compact in the middle and like using quick passes and speed. So that's why I, I'm struggling to say which of these two is going to come out and lift the, the trophy at the weekend. But I'm excited for this one. I'm really excited because the fact these two have not met before. Yeah, I'll stay with you if I could, Anne-Marie. Unless we forget, there is actually an English club and an English team still in Europe. You know, Arsenal play PSG in the quarterfinals of the Women's Champions League on Saturday night on BT Sport. That's the first time in six years. Their prospects, you know, they need to win this tournament to qualify next season, which you would say probably is unlikely. If they are going to win it, who's going to win it for them? Vivian Miedemar. For me, she will be the key person, I think, for this match. I mean, Joe Montemiro, the coach, is somebody who likes to push his fullbacks quite high. He likes Jordan Nobbs. She's a fantastic box-to-box midfielder. She's a potentially a really, really strong goal threat as well. And I think it, it will be in the centre. I think that's where it's going to work for Arsenal. With Leah Volti, they missed her when she was injured in the WSL. They really missed her in that central midfield with Jordan Nobbs and Kim Little. And I think with Vivian Miedemar, she likes to play as a number 10 sometimes, and then use that support midfield. So using Volti and using Kim Little, the captain, and Jordan Nobbs to help set up the goal. So I think those four will be the ones to keep an eye on, but it will be down to, I think, Miedemar to get those goals. And I think what Montemiro will want from his team, he'll want them to dominate from the minute the whistle goes, but be patient with the ball. And the way that he sets up the team, they work in such a way that they can rotate their positions as well. I mentioned about Miedemar being able to play on one side and then drifting into another. That's one of her strengths. They're not the favourites to win this competition. I think we all pretty much agree on that. I think this is 
it's going to come down to Leon and Wolfsburg. I think they are the two strongest out of everybody. But, you know, as, as an Arsenal fan, putting that my hat on for a second, I'd like to think that this could go for Arsenal against PSG. But as you say, Mike, they are the only British team left in, in the Champions League. And that was the joke that was doing the rounds on, on social media this week. And even though... You know, the WSL didn't work out for them this season. I have no doubt in my mind when the new season starts around about the 5th and 6th of September, Joe Montemiro will want Arsenal to qualify again for the Champions League because it's the first time they've been back in it since 2014. Yeah, I suppose out of a sense of fairness and home nation solidarity, I should mention that Glasgow City, the part-timers are yeah. in. Uh, I thought I'd get in before you, John, on that one. <laughs> yes, mate. Um, <laughs> Coached, coached by an ex-Aberdeen player as well. Is that right? Booth. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, another personal sort of element to this, Johnny, if you look at PSG, there is a core of young players there. They've got a, a very good striker up front, Caddy Diani, who he's paid around about £400,000 a year, which is a lot for women's football. But the player I'd like you to focus on, purely from a personal perspective, is Formiga, now Brazilian midfield player. She's 42. Hope for you yet? Hope for you yet, Johnny? <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to have my 42nd birthday still in the future. But, um, <laughs> but no, I mean that's an incredible achievement because in women's football, you know, there's 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 players playing at high international level in their teens, you know, it seems to be a bit more open for careers to start earlier at the top. I don't know when Formiga started, but I, I think I remember her in the midst of the time in two or three World Cups ago. And that's a, that, 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 that's amazing. But I, I do, I love... I love these epic careers that go on and on. I think Donato, uh, was it Donato, the guy that played for Deportivo mm. La Coruña, another Brazilian? was He was well into his 40s, wasn't Donato, it began with a D. And Kazumura, of course, in Japan, was is still playing in his, in, his, in his 50s. I mean, it probably puts my efforts sort of huffing and puffing around um, five-a-side pitch in, in Leicester on a Friday night and then um, congratulating myself because I didn't pull a hamstring at the end of it. Puts them in the shade, but fair play. She's a class player, so, you know, she's a she's a skillful, brainy footballer who I guess is... I mean, I'd imagine, I'm not going to say I've watched PSG women a lot, but I'd imagine she's she's letting um, letting the ball do the work these days. Yeah, all younger players around her, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah, on, on, a, on a wider point, Amory, the appointment of Serena Wegman as England's women's manager, she was speaking yesterday, thinks Europe is improving and the US are beatable. Spoke well. Is it a good appointment? 100%. I'm really excited by this. I'm really excited by this. And I know we can have that debate about having a foreign manager uh, managing an England team reminds us of the Sven Goran Eriksson days, but I'm really, really excited by this. And I love the fact that their Baroness Sue Campbell talked about that they received 142 applications for this role. So they showed there was a real clamour for it. If you could think about this from, you know, 10 years ago, we wouldn't have had this. And now here we have somebody who has won the European Championships for the Netherlands, for the women's football team, took the Netherlands to the final of the Women's World Cup in France. Unfortunately, they weren't able to, to beat the USA. She took an unknown team all the way to the top and even galvanised the country. I mean, I don't know if you saw, if you remember those social media videos of the Orange Army following the team around during the women's World Cup. I mean, it's amazing. And the experience that she's going to bring to England, she understands the nuances of women's football and she also knows how to manage games when things start to get tricky. And I think they were the two things that Phil Neville fell short on. I have no doubt that he is a brilliant man manager. All the players speak very highly of him in that respect. And they did start brightly with him in those first few months, but the alarm bell started to ring for me after the Women's World Cup and seven losses out of 11 is just not good enough. If you want to be able to beat Germany, who exactly like the men's team, ruthless, clinical, punish you, and the USA, who will steamroll you, there needs to be a plan B when things are not going your way. So I think... The players will have a manager who will understand the attacking style. I think that's what the FA want. That's the feeling that I, I get from them. I think Phil Neville has taken them as far as they could possibly go, but it's now time to go to that next level and develop their attacking style. 
tighten up the defense. There are some players I hesitate to say who, you know, as, as we've just been talking about, the Brazilian player heading into those twilight years now and bringing the youngsters through, working closely with the under-23s, the under-19s, the under-17s, because there's going to be one or two players who are not going to be featuring over the next few years or so. And also we want somebody who's going to put the USA under pressure. The USA has dominated world women's football for a very long time. And I think Netherlands have shown that if you are a team that can push forward, you can challenge them. And I think England need to be part of that mix as well. So I'm, I'm really excited for her. And also the fact that she has her own statue outside the Dutch FA says it all to me. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I think the one thing that perplexes me though, Mike, is, you know, we have to wait for her for 12 months. I recognise that she has a job to do. She has it. And that, you know, fist pump for that because that's about integrity you want to see you know get Netherlands through Tokyo it's just a bit of a shame we have to wait 12 months for her yeah and I agree with that and you know I suppose to that point Johnny where does this leave Phil Neville because you know in many ways he's pretty much a lame duck manager now isn't he you know there is a, a lot of conjecture about what's going to happen with the Olympics has this job damaged his career prospects in the men's game you think well it- it might have done. It's a hard one to assess because, in 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 some ways, I think men's football needs to, still needs to grow up an incredible amount when it comes to the women's game. And in some ways, I think whatever he did in in that job, he would either not get credit for or or any failures would be ignored. And as I think, as Anne Marie so eloquently put it, if you actually look at the detail of of how the last sort of 12 to 18 months have gone. It's been it's been a real underperformance by a talented England squad. And, and he has to, after a good start, has to play a big part in that. But as I said, I think, I think there's a sense that I think he'll be all right to get his next job because I think the men's game will kind of ignore, it probably just ignore the whole thing, sadly, of, of, of the, the good and the bad of what he's done with the England women's team. What, what you could see that he, 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 he has, he had a talent or has a talent for, for, for leadership, I think he, he certainly sort of st- struck the right note in terms of selling selling the team in, in, in a wider way. But when it came to the fine detail, possibly, possibly not. And didn't seem to, he seemed to react quite badly under pressure, you know, his behaviour towards certain journalists and, and, and so on. I think, I think Serena Wegman's appointment is an f- interesting moment for the men's game as well, actually, and, and, and for FA culture, because... There's one element about Phil Neville that always seemed that it was a bit of a club with him and Gareth Southgate and A.D. Boothroyd, and you sort of wondered whether he'd been installed in the uh, with the women's team just because he was kind of part of the club. And the the you know you spoke to people at the FA and they'd, they'd they'd give you all this great stuff about how oh well you know the the you know the women's game women's football taken so seriously that that you know when Gareth and A.D. meet at the water cooler in St George's Park you know Phil's part of the discussions and they exchange ideas and all that sort of stuff. And um, well, if that's the case, then you know Serena Wegman with with her fantastic track record, she should be in those water cooler discussions and helping share her ideas for, that that might help the men's team as well. I, and I, I wonder if that will happen. You know, I, I, so I think I think from an FA culture point of view, it's great they've gone for somebody that's not part of the boys' club, and it's and and she's got brilliant credentials as a coach. But get her in. Get, let, let, let give her the same. Give her the same prominence in the cabal that that, that that Phil Neville had. Let her speak to Gareth Southgate about shared ideas. Get this. Get this knowledge that she's got, and 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 try and use it for more than just the women's team. Yeah, great principle. I'm not sure whether it will actually go through in, print, in in practice. Simply because you know she she admitted yesterday that she was only going to spend half her time in England. She says she'll travel back and forth from the Netherlands which made me suck my teeth a little bit. But anyway, we, we move on. Arsenal again, if I may, Amory, I don't want to um, <laughs> uh, you know, extend your agony here, but let's look at the politics of the club at the moment. The scouting department has been gutted. Why, I'm, I'm not quite sure. The head of football, Royal Sanyi, has been sacked. You know, Keir Jurabchan has been pretty vocal about recruitment issues and obviously there are uh, questions about his perceived influence you've got Villian who's obviously a, a Jurabchan client three-year deal 220,000 pounds a week people are asking is this a an acceptable price for a potential leader but this is at a time when 
staff are getting made redundant. What's the state of the club? Oh, that's one way to prolong my agony asking me that question. It's a very, it's a really good question, and the my short answer is I have absolutely no idea. I think for me, you know, it's something you know when Wenger left, when Arsene Wenger left, you know, as an Arsenal fan, I was wondering, please, 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 let us not go through the revolving door like with happened with Manchester United after Sir Alex left. The constant changes that were taking place. We, you know, Arsenal's all about stability. And I was hoping that that wouldn't be the case. And and when Ivan Gazinis worked together with Raul Salahi and Sven Mislinat, I thought, right, that's it. That's the, the structure's now sorted. You've got the board and everybody else. Everybody knows their roles and what they're doing. And then Mislinat left for whatever reason. Then Ivan Gazidis headed to over to AC Milan. And then there was Raul Salahi who, from what I understand, has got an amazing contact book. He's got some really good relationships with club owners, with governing bodies, even with players themselves. And and I think he's done an okay job over the, the last two, three years. So I was really surprised when it flashed up on, on my phone about that he was leaving the club. And if you read the the statements, both from Arsenal and from Salehi himself, it was all very amicable. But of course, it raises a lot more questions than what it answers, the timing of it. You also about the, the 55 redundancies as well that's going into, into consultation. I, I think with those redundancies, I think some of them are, you talk about the gutting of, of the scouting department. I think coronavirus, the pandemic has played a major part in the way that scouting is going to be done over the next few months or so. That's the only way I can rationalise some of those redundancies in my head, perhaps. But maybe Arsenal are looking at this because they want a more streamlined organisational chart. But then you talk about Keir Jirapjian, what role is he going to be playing going forward? The club, again, have said, they've been very clear and said that he, you know, he's just an agent like everybody else and just doing deals for Arsenal. Time will tell if those signings that have been made through him are going to be a success. I don't want to predict and say they're all going to be terrible, but Villian could turn out to be a massive, massive success for Arsenal. But as I said, only time will tell that and I'm willing to give Arsenal the chance to deliver on that. I also think Edu has now got a lot more responsibility on his shoulders. I, from what I understand, the Willian signing was something that Arteta wanted and I have to trust him and what his grand plan is. I am uncomfortable that he's been given such a long contract. That worries me a little bit. I don't... I can see why Arsenal have brought him in. I can see why Arteta's looking to bring him in as a wing. But then I think Willian and Pepe, they play a, a kind of similar style. So what's going to happen with that? Does that mean Aubameyang's going to be moved out of position to accommodate Willian and Pepe? I think there's there's so many questions about this. And I think for me, as a fan, I have to trust in what Arsenal are looking to do. Some of it makes me a little bit uncomfortable but I'm willing to give it a little bit of time but trust me if it all starts to go wrong Arsenal fans they can show they they can be really really vocal about certain things and I think the club now if they want to build on our trust they have to deliver uh, on what they're saying they're going to do and I think if things do start to go a little bit wrong trust me Arsenal fans will be up in arms as quick as you know it. Arsenal fans having a moan. There's a, there's a novelty <laughs> for you, eh? Um, I suppose they are, Johnny. It looks like they, they've won the battle to get Gabriel Magales from Lille, uh, around about 30 million euros, which, if we're led to believe Arsenal are skint, doesn't really quite add up, but there we are. How do you think that team will evolve and, and is that signing a key signing? It's a... Uh... Well, it could be a very shrewd signing because this is a um, summer where everyone wants centre-backs. That All the top clubs, with the exception of Liverpool, are in the market for centre-backs. And Arsenal look like they've taken a slightly different approach, which could really pay off by going for young guys who they can grow into top players rather than try to fight everyone else for Koulibaly or whatever at £70 million. So they've already got William Saliba, who... who you know, really highly rated in France, who they signed last year, left at St Etienne for a year. And now with Megalas, that gives them two sort of centre backs of the of the future, which is very interesting. Um they'll obviously have to offload as well. I, I think in terms of the evolution, this will be Mikel Arteta's team. And one of the things to come out of the last week or two is that he's won any power struggle that he had. He was very 
interesting how in the wake of the cup final, he was very quick to to play the the I need more players card. And with that determination that he's able to exude, kind of convince you that he needed to be in charge of things. Uh, and I think that that message has resounded and, and has been accepted by the Cronkies. So I think we'll see very much a, a, an Arteta team, which I mean, I, will not feature, for example, Mesut Ozil in it. I'm pretty sure he will continue going his own way. The key is going to be Aubameyang, who I think posted some kind of hourglass emoji on social media this week, uh, which might, may, made you think something was imminent and then nothing's happened. So we're all watching what, what happens with him because Arsenal's future direction is going to depend on whether he stays or goes. But young centre-backs, an Arteta team which will have you know, work rate, team play, and I think sort of quite clever, pragmatic football at the heart of it. And, and maybe a bit more edge and, and athleticism than we've we've seen from Arsenal teams in the last couple of years. And and he, he, I, I, if I was if I was in Amory's position, I, I I probably would be, you know, kind of sighing at a lot of what's happened in the last couple of years. But the last few months since Arteta's got hold of things would give me uh, a lot more optimism than than probably anything that's happened since Wenger left. Great. Well, if we look at a uh, quick glance at Spain. Two potential issues, one each, please. Anne-Marie, the Spanish papers are saying that Gareth Bale's available for about 17 million euros. Do you think there are going to be any takers? Gareth Bale is... Um, I'm perplexed by the whole Gareth Bale thing because his agent, hasn't he, Jonathan Bartlett, consistently and repeatedly says that he is not going anywhere. The thing for me, though, very quickly, is that... if he's a competitor. He'll want to go out and play. I cannot imagine that he'll just want to sit there just watching game after game after game. So, you know, I think Spurs fans would love Bale to come back and leave, you know, £17 million. That's a steal for Gareth Bale, but he's not worth that. And I think if you're going to buy him, buy him for his worth. So as much as the Spurs fans would love him to come back, I don't think that's going to happen. And the thing is that he would need to take a significant pay cut. Again, I don't think that's going to happen. So... I think there will be some chances out there who will put some bids on the table, but I can't see him leaving Real Madrid. No. What about Barcelona, Johnny? Uh, the fallout from their exit is going to be pretty uh, seismic. Gerard Piquet, do you think he'd be a valid recruit in the Premier League? Maybe even you know either Manchester club. It's a really interesting one because he's such a classy footballer, but athletically. Could he do it? He's fading. You can see that. You see he's fading. And first time round in the Premier League, there, there were worries, I think, just, just about his his ability to cover the ground. He's, he's just not quick. You know, he's not, not fantastically mobile, but he's got an incredible amount of class and football brain. It'd be one I'd look at with caution, if I'm being honest, if I was one of the, the really, if I, was one, if I was one of the Manchester clubs. And yeah, I mean, and you couldn't put them down the league, so probably not for me. Okay, right. Well, just draw, draw everything together now. Our thoughts for the day, Amory. What's yours? My thought for the day is about the appointment of a black referee to the football league by the professional game match officials, Sam Ellison. I'd like to send my congratulations to him. And my thought for the day is this has been long, long, long overdue. The last black referee within the football league was Uriah Rennie. Remember him? Who who retired? And I remember him from. 2009 and Sam Ellison talks about how he's excited and he's overwhelmed as well about the prospect of of refereeing in the in the EFL and I'm really happy for him I would say this this is long overdue this is something that should have happened so much a long 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 time ago I'm hoping that this will now be a catalyst of change that we will see more black people and minority ethnic people refereeing in the game I'm hoping that PGMOL will fast track people who want to referee within the game and give them the opportunity to do that. If PGMOL want to improve their reputation in people's eyes, then this is the way to go about that. And I'd like to send my congratulations to Sam Allison. I think he's going to do a fantastic job and I wish him all the best for the next season. Well said, well said. Johnny. Well, my thought of the day is about Marcus Rojo, and I probably think about <laughs> Marcus Rojo far too often, and this is sort of uh, good for me, really. But we've been talking about centre backs, and everyone look, everyone's looking for a centre back, and there, there, there he is. Uh, it's now what four year, five years into his Manchester United career. He's, he started 
three Premier League games in the last two years. He's accrued about £20 million in wages in that time. <laughs> nice work. Um, nice work if you can get it. <laughs> nice work if you get it. And then he, he, I think about him because um, he's always a symbol of, of the folly of Premier League recruitment. But I also, you know, and I'm really touched on it with Gareth Bale, I also I always wonder about guys like him, whether they're whether they're actually happy. Uh, and I'm sure he is. He's got 20 million quid in the bank. But do you know what I mean? Does Marcus Rocco, who's now 30 and has spent the last two or three years, the prime years of his career, just basically, you know, sitting on the bench and and, and playing against Rochdale in the in the League Cup now and then. Will he will he look back and think, yeah, I've got a mansion, I've got, you know, a fleet of cars and I've got a pony and all that kind of stuff but did I just waste my did I waste my sort of football career or will he just not care I I don't know I don't know it's it it's a fascinating example though of of just the nonsense of of, of the transfer market at times so Marcus Rocker what how, how do you feel what are you doing well, I'm not sure I would see Marcus Rocco as a pony type of guy, but there we go. <laughs> He's Argentine, isn't he? They love, they love horses. Yeah, I don't know true. why I said pony. <laughs> now, you know, I'll, I'll round things off, and I promise, I really promise that this isn't a, an in-my-day football was better sort of rant. The modern player belongs to a new breed. They don't believe in ghosts like George Best, they have vague memories even of someone like David Beckham. But what they do recognise is the skills and the instincts of the cage footballer. Now, that's about swag, the ability to dazzle and, to be honest, make an opponent look daft. It's summed up by Jaden Sancho. No coincidence, then, that when we met, he stressed that he loves to watch Wilfred Sahar. Sahar, of course, wants to leave Crystal Palace. He needs to revitalise his career. At 27, he should be entering his prime years. Arsenal and Everton have been suitors. PSG and Monaco are supposedly interested. But I'd love to see him take the plunge and challenge himself by joining Borussia Dortmund. They're keen, apparently. What about Sancho, I hear you say? Come on, you know he'll join Manchester United sooner or later. Is that too convenient a scenario? I hope not. Give it a go, Wilf. Give it a go. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. And thanks as ever for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.